You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody and welcome once again to the Oz Network as we bring you another spoiler-free review of a new movie. That's right, we like to remain current and hip with everybody by going to the movies rather than watching old ones. This week we are bringing you our spoiler-free review of Dunkirk, the uh, Christopher Nolan film that's doing great guns at the box office, great guns with the critics... And I probably shouldn't use the word great guns because that's probably a little bit too close to home for this film. Uh, my name is Ben and I saw the movie Dunkirk. <laughs> it, it is a hard one. But my name is Colin. And did you know Tom Hardy was in this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, we were just talking about it off air, that it took me forever to like remember that he was in this movie. Uh, <laughs> again, I quickly noticed, uh, you know, uh, Harry Styles, but when it came to Tom oh. Hardy, and also, who's that guy? Who He looks familiar. Oh, it's Kenneth Branagh. Uh, <laughs> Two famous people in the movie, and you couldn't recognize them. You are Christopher Nolan's dream audience. Two esteemed, like, direct, uh, you know, actors in the world of Hollywood, and I noticed the guy in his first movie, he's in a boy band. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably had no idea who he was. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously a spoiler-free review. And it, we were just mentioning this off air. It's kind of an interesting one to say spoiler-free because I guess when it comes to a movie based on historical, you know, situations, uh, you know, it's it's a very well-known story, Dunkirk. So spoiler alert, they get rescued. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> like, as I joked to Colin off air, it's like if we were doing one on Titanic, spoiler-free Titanic, spoiler alert, it's the ice cream, uh, ice cream, iceberg. There's a different version. <laughs> <laughs> Just Kate Winslet nude licking ice cream. I think that's what that one oh, was. I'd watch that. Um, but yeah, like, I guess kind of, when we say spoiler-free, we're, we won't go into specifics of how that happens at the end. But, I mean, I guess it's kind of... There are a few moments, I would say, in this film that warrant not being told in an episode like this, wouldn't you say? Yeah, like when, you know, Guy Pierce shows up and has tattoos all over his body that tell the story backwards. <laughs> Little things like that. Yep, yep. Uh, you know, as you mentioned too, the Batman scene was amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Batman single-handedly taking on the Nazis. <laughs> hey, Hitler, I'm Batman. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we will we won't give you away the entire movie. But um, I mean, I guess generally thought process of it in terms of just overall uh, opinions. I mean, as I mentioned, it's it's been doing huge uh, success in box office globally since it's been released. Um, just the reviews through the roof. Uh, so many people are, are just praising this film. Uh, not the French, but we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, many people are already touting this as, you know, an Oscar frontrunner and just everything else uh, in between. And obviously it's it's directed and co-produced by Christopher Nolan and kind of reading a lot into this in terms of that he's he's always wanted to do a film on on Dunkirk and sort of tell this, you know, very well-known story from World War Two. So... I, I liked it. I I mean, I, I came into this kind of knowing a little bit more about this than I say did knowing about Baby Driver a week ago. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I was familiar with the, the Dunkirk story, not as familiar as, say, some other sort of World War II uh, battles because I guess it didn't really associate Australia too much into it as some of the other ones did. But, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed this film. I, I'll probably say throughout this episode that I maybe didn't think it was as 
fantastic as a lot of people are saying. I mean, uh, you know, there are definitely moments of this film that I feel, you know, were like, oh, okay. Like, and there were, de- there were, there was a, there was moments in this film I feel that I scratched my head and not just, you know, oh, Tom Hardy, Kenneth Branagh. Like, um, I don't know about you, but just like how it was set, the timeline of the film kind of confused me a lot. And yeah. then it clicked halfway through. I'm like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, overall, just starting out, I, I enjoyed this film. I thought it was, I thought it was a, a, a well done film. You know, strangely enough, it's that confusion that was so fascinating to me that made me love this even more. And uh, it, it really is the purest Christopher Nolan movie that Christopher Nolan's made in at least a decade. And it's funny because coming out of this, I just couldn't help but think this feels like if Christopher Nolan had had a hundred million dollars. 15 years ago after Memento, this is the movie he would have made. And today, you know, because I tried not to really read anything about this movie or learn anything about it before seeing it. And just today I realized that this basically was what he wanted to do after Memento. And he just didn't feel like he would have the experience to do something that was this big as far as the budget goes yet. So he kind of put it on the back burner. But I mean, this for people who have kind of been dying for Christopher Nolan to go back and maybe do something that's not quite as simple of a blockbuster and do something a little bit more complex like memento or the prestige uh this is probably the movie you're waiting for there are a lot of moments where you're like as far as the timeline of this you don't get it and honestly the movie starts out by explaining it's one of these yes, things it that it takes you half it takes you half of the movie to get what's going on and then you all of a sudden you're like oh i get how the timeline works they told here me at the beginning and i then, wasn't paying attention yeah you remember back to the opening shot and you're like well that's what that meant so i'm sure it's gonna be like incredible on a second viewing yeah. but i loved being confused for half of this movie because I guess it kind of just added to the whole chaos of, you know, the, the war setting. And that's, like, the the whole bit where it does tell you, because I think, like, when it clicked with me, the timeline, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, so that's what that writing meant. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a case of, like, I can't I mean, read because I'm dumb. It was just literally, like, yeah. one of those moments. Like, you know, I guess when you see a movie and there's writing and it's, like, it's telling you something. Like, sometimes it's it's obvious. It's like, you know, Isla Sauna, you know, 65 kilometres, you know, northwest of Costa Rica. Like, oh, okay, I understand that. Um, but, like, this one, it's kind of, you know, without kind of going... I mean, this is kind of one of those ones where it's like, maybe you shouldn't spoil it, maybe you should, but, like, we won't. Um, you know, it kind of it comes up and it will say, like, a certain situation and, and sort of a time frame, and then when you're reading that, you're kind of not understanding it. But then, as I said, yeah, like, it clicks halfway through. Because mm. I guess, kind of, this is obviously telling the story, really, of, you know, the the Dunkirk, the, the escape, the, the soldiers attempting to escape from Dunkirk through the perspectives of land, sea, and air. So you're seeing, kind of, three perspectives of what's going on. And it's, yeah, when they sort of put that on screen and call it what they do like you know for example the first one the mole like i mean as soon as that comes up i'm like oh there's a mole who's a mole who, 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 who's he who's he a nazi is he a nazi <laughs> and of course they throw you off at one point in the movie where and it probably is just christopher nolan i honestly believe that he likes to mess with people a little bit uh because there's a moment in the movie where there's people almost debating well is this guy german or something like that and <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. So that's what the mall's about. And of course, that has nothing to do with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely nothing at all. But it just has you like, it's such like, the movie is not complex in any way. No. That's the other thing. As far as like spoiler free, even if you didn't know what the story of the, the Battle of Dunkirk and, you know, the evacuation of Dunkirk was, 
still this this movie has almost no dialogue i mean I, you know my brother and i left this movie and uh i was talking to him I'm like yeah i don't think it's hard to not give away spoilers if we do an episode on this and he's like well there's probably three pages of dialogue in this movie <laughs> it's, a, it's a fully visual movie yeah so the story is very simple and it is just those three perspectives and you, you kind of get more from some than others which is sort of the point of the movie but yeah i mean the 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 whole setting it, it takes you a while to get it but i think it's m better for people to go into the movie and kind of have that confusion and figure it out as you're going along and it's not one of these things like the prestige where or the memento where there's a big twist on then you're like oh i get it now it's more just like you said this moment halfway through you're like i i think i'm figuring this out <laughs> like for me it was literally turning my brother and was like okay so the one week part meant this, and then the mole is really <laughs> And then once you've said it, you're like, well, that's the simplest thing in the world. I can't wait to watch this a second time. I'll get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, like, I mean, all jokes aside about not realizing who the actors in that were, I think I think what I enjoyed about this kind of coming into it, knowing that, you know, I mean, it's, it's not exactly an all-star cast in terms of, like, you know, it's not Leonardo DiCaprio and, and like, all these big names all coming together, you know. It's like, Tom Hardy's a big Exception. name. Kenneth Branagh's yeah. a big name. Cillian Murphy's a big name. But it's kind of, it's done in a way that it's such an ensemble that, like, you don't yeah. really have somebody taking over, you know, more so than others. It's just, I think, I, that's what I liked about the fact that you have this, this ensemble with all these different stories that... You know, Tom Hardy's role is the same as, you know, some other guy that you're looking at going, oh, I don't know who he is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, they never draw attention to stars. And uh, we'll get to Tom Hardy a little bit later, so they don't draw attention to him, which I thought was funny. But, you know, you mentioned, like, Kenneth Branagh. It, it, he's almost the character that is shoved in your face the least. Yeah. There are other characters, like the lead character in this movie, Tommy. The movie really starts with him, and I really only say lead just because he probably has the most screen time, not that his character has any real significance, uh, but he's kind of the, the one on the poster and everything. And you don't have the same type of introduction for him you have with Kenneth Brown. With him, you're meant to really focus, okay, we want you to know who this guy is, maybe because he is an unknown actor or because the soldiers that are trapped there in Dunkirk, you know, it's hard to tell them apart sometimes, and that's the point of the movie. They wanted this to be real. Where you're squinting, you're like, okay, this guy had a smear of dirt above his right eyebrow. Is it the same place here, or are we still in the same time? Is this five minutes earlier? You don't get it. So Kenneth Branagh comes up, and it's almost just like they gloss it over. So it's almost understandable with that and even Tom Hardy. Christopher Nolan never draws attention to them being stars in this movie. It's completely different than anything I've seen before. And the thing that, that um, I'm amazed, actually, too, that you talk about Tommy, Fionn Whitehead plays him. It's his very first movie role. I didn't know that going into it. Um, then you kind of look it up. Uh, I mean, he's been in a TV series called Him before. But, uh, yeah, besides that, that was his first major role in anything and then this is his very first film role and i mean just the mm -hmm. fact that like everything you're just saying that he can kind of hold that screen time with you know kenneth branner and tom hardy it's just it's incredible and like i mean i guess kind of just on the cast really kind of while we're here i mean i think a lot of the talk around this film coming into it was the fact that uh yeah harry styles is in this and for those like colin mm -hmm. who don't know who harry styles is obviously a member of one direction well, I, I knew who you were um, listen to him. but and, and i think a lot of people were critical of that weren't they because when you when you hear someone like harry styles is cast in a film you're like automatically like, oh, stunt casting like really like it'd be like if justin bieber was in this like really like why you know but i mean i think the thing that i found interesting reading about the casting of harry styles is apparently christopher nolan didn't know who was he was cast based on his acting merits not the fact that he's harry styles 
And, yeah. I mean, when he's revealed in the film, um, you, you know, like, you were like, oh, there's Harry Styles, there he is. You know, I'm not like, you know, One Direction fan going like, oh, my God, Harry Styles! Ah! But, like... Well, you were, yeah, I was, but... let's be honest. But, um, <laughs> For the sake of this episode, you weren't. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, he actually... I can see where he was, um, you know, you know, hired for this film, because I will say he actually did a very good job. And, again, if you don't know who he is... Um, then you just would assume he's just a very, you know, well-trained actor. And uh, I think that, you know, once he grows out of the boy band phase, he, he could have a, a future in acting. I think he, he held his own very well. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. I think people, no matter how well-prepared you are for this movie, it's going to surprise you. It's going to be different because it really is unlike any movie I've ever seen before. You can't compare it to anything. Yeah. And even with the style of acting, you can't. You know, you mentioned that he's good in this movie. A lot of the young actors are good, but at the same time, like I said, there's probably three pages of actual dialogue, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's a lot of, and particularly with, like, uh, Styles and um, uh, Whitehead, and the, the ones who are really on the ground, the land story, they're so dirty and so filthy for the majority of this movie that you can't tell a lot of them apart. Yeah, true. So I couldn't, half the time, it, I'm like, going, is that that person? Who's that? Well, who's, is he the same person? Yeah. And there's really only a handful of really big scenes. I mean... The other thing I was talking about with my brother brother is that Killian Murphy is the only one that really has a big, meaty role. This is something where it's like, okay, well, this is the type of role you'd write for the Oscar contender for supporting actor. Uh, everybody else, it's so subtle and uh, so natural. And that's where we say that a lot of these young actors, they're really good. You know, you can complain and say, oh, he's in one direction, you know, or this other guy has never done a movie before. How could they be that good? They're that good just because they come across as real natural, yeah. like as in you believe it. And the other thing I want to give Nolan credit for here is how young the cast looks. Like this is the way war really is. If you go back to World War II, you know, it was soldiers who were like 18 to 22 years old for the most part. And it's crazy for me to think like, you know, an 18 year old <laughs> who's fighting in a war. But these guys look 18 and some of the actors, you know, are uh legitimately that age and uh the two young boys who are uh in the the sea battle with mark rylance you know they look like they're maybe 14 15 years old and that adds to the believability of the movie so everything about this movie just from the style of acting from not having too much dialogue the characters not drawing the tension to them either physically with the way they look or with the way they're introduced and even just the ages it just all comes across like you're watching a real documentary yeah yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, one thing, I mean, you know, we sort of, I guess, gelled over the uh, the the subject of the field, you know, the plot. And, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to say, clearly, as we kind of touched on. I mean, if if you don't know anything really about the, the Dunkirk evacu- evacuation, I mean, it was just essentially the, you know, a bunch of Allied troops were stuck on a beach in Dunkirk, France, and they couldn't get out, and they were kind of trapped, and basically it, it came down to a sort of a lot of civilians, I, I guess you would say, um, helping uh, come get them and you know not necessarily civilians it was, it's like guys on fishing boats yeah. you know rescuing the soldiers yeah you're sort of you know across the english channel and it's just it, it tells the story essentially of just you know these allied troops that are kind of on the beach and just their ways of getting out there and it's the, the thing that i guess a lot of people like a few people i've talked to during the week and said like oh you know i saw dunkirk and people automatically generally come out and say yeah, i don't really like war movies um and like i mean like i can get that uh that perception but like as you were saying 
kind of how it's like nothing you've ever seen before. I guess kind of I went into this, you know, knowing what I knew, but then thinking, oh, it's a war movie, you know, there's going to be explosions, there's going to be, you know, big battle scenes and all this kind of stuff. You know, you're thinking mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan and, you know, films like that. But that's one thing that when you were saying about how sort of it's different, that, like this isn't a war movie in that you shouldn't go into it thinking that there's going to be like, you know, over-the-top graphic violence and battle scenes. And it's, it's not really a mm-hmm. film that's going out to show the horrors of war. And, I mean, there are definitely parts of this film that are, are showing, like, the the horrors. I'm not saying it's completely devoid of showing the horrors of war, but it's done in such a way that I think it's, it's more of an emotional level rather than a let's see how big we can mm-hmm. make the explosions. Because, I mean, like, with such a high budget for this film, the, the interesting thing I found is that most of the money clearly spent wasn't necessarily on things like explosions and things like that. It was it was the realistic nature of it. Because this is a film that barely has any CGI in it. So pretty much everything yeah. that you're seeing has been done. And that's obviously where Nolan spent most of his money. And I think that works in these scenes where, you know, the few scenes where they're showing the impact and the horror of what war is... It's done in such a way that you don't need the, you know, the Normandy Beach scene from Saving Private Ryan. You can do it in a different way that yeah. is still extremely effective. And that, I think, was done in a way. Like, and that fits in well with what you're saying about how young this cast is. Because, you know, there are definitely moments in this film where these soldiers are like, wow, he's just a kid. But then, like, yeah, mm-hmm. you realise that this is how these walls were fought. Like, kids signed up to these walls. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, they didn't sign up. They were oh, drafted. Yeah, exactly. you know? So True. there's no choice. Uh, you know, uh, p- mostly what the budget was, was the planes yeah. <laughs> and the, the ships. You know, Nolan wanted to be authentic. He wanted to use authentic uh, planes and ships from this time period. And uh, that's where I think the majority of the budget went. And it's funny because it's the only time I'm going to willingly reference this. But cause until we cover it from very different point of views later this year, but Titanic, when that came out... <laughs> Uh, in no way is Titanic in the same league as Dunkirk. I'm sorry, Ooh. but when Titanic came out, I remember you know I would kind of mock it a little bit and be like, "Oh, it's this cheesy love story." They're trivializing like the death of thousands with this trivial love story. And my sister, who grew up obsessed with the Titanic, like before the movie ever came out, you know, she was an 11, 12 year old reading 800 page books about the real Titanic story. And, you know, studying, like, pictures and everything. And for her, she's like, I go to see the China and the chandeliers. And she's like, because that's how authentic James Cameron made those. And that's really what this movie is. I mean, Nolan wanted this to look, whether the audience in 2017 is going to know it or not, he wanted this to look like something that somebody that was there during the war would look back on and be like, wow, that's exactly the way that looked. And a lot of this was filmed in Dunkirk itself. So um, it's kind of not one of these film set about a historical place where they've gone out and kind of just got a place that sort of looks like it. I mean, that's kind of, I think, the interesting thing about, you know, what they've done. I mean, like, I know we recently talked about um, that I saw uh, Patriots Day and, like, a lot of that wasn't filmed in the areas of Boston where it happened because, obviously, I mean, that was only four years ago, so it's still a lot very raw for a lot of people. Um, but, I mean, you, you kind of don't pay attention to that. As somebody had been to Boston once, it's not like, oh, that's not where that tree is on that street, you know what I mean? Whereas, like, I mean, I've never been to Dunkirk. <laughs> But, I mean, it's still kind of... It's done in a way that, like, people like us who've never been to Dunkirk... I don't know about you, Colin. I'm assuming you've never been there. But, like, it's... You don't pay attention to it. Whereas, I'm sure, like, as you were saying, like, <laughs> the people maybe who were there and stuff like that, like, you know, could could pull it out. But it's... I mean, I, I read an interesting review about it, how somebody was, like, 
uh, you know, because I tried to actually find a negative review of this film, and it's actually quite hard to find a negative review for Dunkirk. <laughs> um, but this person, one of their complaints was that, you know, it didn't show the scale of just how how big this was, you know, because the, the soldiers on the beach, you know, there was, you know, ten times more than what was shown in this film, and the amount of, you know, battleships out in the water, there were ten times more, and, like... I can maybe understand that as a subtle complaint, but at the same time, it's like, well, when somebody's going out there to film a, like with practical effects rather than going the, the route of, you know, CGI and everything like that, I mean, it's not like this film is completely devoid of CGI, uh, but it's it's done in such a way that you really have to struggle to find where it is. And I don't know, I found that a very weird complaint to have about a film. Like, oh, it's not as grand as it is. It's kind of like, well, I think it's well, not necessarily about the grand scale. It's more about the, the human stories when it comes to that. And it's done in a way that I never noticed that. I, I didn't think that, I mean, there were shots where there were like grand scale of people and the amount of extras that were used in this film, I think it mm-hmm. it shows a lot. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, I mean, Saving Private Ryan was kind of the last movie to really do that, you know, because that was sort of just as CGI was breaking through. Plus, Spielberg wanted it to be authentic, too. And they did the same thing. They would have shots with, like, a thousand people in the background. uh, And it really adds to the movie. But, you know, there's big differences between Saving Private Ryan and this. Saving Private Ryan, if you look at that, you know, first 30 minutes of the movie, the the, uh, the D-Day battle... It's all about the chaos, so you don't really get to know any of the characters. You don't follow any of the characters for long enough. The the cameras are shaky and all that. And with Dunkirk, it's different. I mean, cameras are still the majority of the time in this, and the characters you don't really ever get a backstory with them. You're th- you're thrown into the movie. So, as opposed to having the chaos through the way the battle looks, the way the same Private Ryan did, your chaos is just in that you're j- dropped in the middle of the story with no background on any of the characters what their names are half the time. When the movie ended, I knew three of the characters' names. Yeah. I, I don't have no clue what the rest of them were. Yeah. Uh, but by not showing it as big of a scale, and you know, I'm not speaking for Christopher Nolan, you know, uh, I don't know him well enough yet, <laughs> but uh, my guess would be he wanted this to be on a smaller scale in some areas because that's how the audience feels like they're in the middle of this. Saving Private Ryan was about... This is the chaos of battle. This is Dunkirk's almost more like we want the audience to feel like they're there. And the easiest way to do that is to pick a character like they have with Tommy at the beginning of the movie. And you're following him regardless of whether he's the main character in the story or not. Or with the sea stuff, you know, there are tons of boats that came to rescue these guys you know, ferries that with, with crews of like, you know, 10, 15 people. And they chose to focus on a boat with three people. Yeah. And for the most part with the planes, you're, you're following two pilots for the entire time. And it actually helps you feel like you're in the middle of it more. Like, you know, it's not a 3D movie, but you almost look back on it and you feel like you weren't watching a screen. You were in the middle of the movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, recently when I was in um, Hawaii and I did a tour of the, the Kualoa Ranch, which is kind of where they filmed like a lot of, you know, Jurassic Park and, and a lot of famous films. So one of the ones I did there that I was learning about was uh, Tears of the Sun. And there was like sort of the uh, big fan of Tears of the Sun, clearly. Uh, but like, yeah. <laughs> they had like, you know, sort of this big, the big open area, which is like, again, you are planted there. You can straight away be like, wow, this is like, I'm on the set of a movie. Cause again, it's Jurassic Park, the scene when they're running away from the T Rex and hiding under the tree. And just it's that sweeping views mm-hmm. of like the valley of like, you know, it's amazing. But they were saying about how when that was made, just the amount of extras and just kind of this whole valley was just filled. Like it was all done to be trying to like authentic and all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting kind of like 
when people are making these war war films, they they kind of go out of their way to do it. Whereas like you know Michael Bay does Pearl Harbor, he just sits on a computer. Um, yeah, exactly. but yeah, it's and it's interesting you saying about the names of the characters. I mean, you know, me not realizing who Kenneth Branagh was half the time in this film. Like, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you who half the names of these characters were because, I mean, I know, and the thing is, I don't think you need to know the names of the characters. It's yeah. kind of it's not one of these bits where you know some characters like oh Tommy blah 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 blah. Do you remember this? It's like plot twist. Like you just you can go this whole movie clearly as I did and not know any of the characters' names, and you still sort of know who they are though if you know what i mean and it's kind of it's it's not um important and that's kind of going back to i think the overall like the ensemble casting of it one thing i will say about the cast uh if you're um like into women in movies <laughs> I, I don't know how i was which gonna we put are that, which everyone is equal rights you know hashtag feminism um don't expect to be thrilled with this movie i think i saw like two women in this film and they were like blinking you miss it so <laughs> well, there's that i know for sure so i mean there's, i mean it's, it's i don't it's not a nip i'm not saying it's a bad i mean i guess this a story like this i mean there were definitely women yeah. involved i'm not trying to diminish the fact that women play because that was in the in the review i read too which they kind of were saying uh, about, you know, that they didn't really portray much about the women and they just as a passing nurse here and there, which, fair enough. But I guess the story he was trying to tell didn't really warrant that side of things. Is that the correct way of putting it, I guess? Is it fair enough? I mean, they they didn't focus on... You know, the guys who fueled the planes. <laughs> True. The Tom oh, I really wanted to they, see that. Uh, that's yeah, Leonardo like, DiCaprio's uncredited on, role. <laughs> as I said, the boats with like 10 or 15 crews, you know, they yeah. focused on three guys. And even with the, the ground battles, we don't get names for half these people. That's kind of the point of the movie is that it's personal. You're You're picking a few people to attach yourself to. And even then, you're not getting attached enough to them to even know their names in this movie. And it, it just, it really helps you feel confused in a good way in this um i want to talk really quickly about tom hardy just before i forget uh because (laughs) tom hardy's in this did you know Um, it's funny because (laughs) well i'm glad you said that because uh kristen goland as you know i mentioned I, i honestly believe that he likes to mess with people and you know you can go back to uh, even the dark knight rises uh with the rumors of the movie like everybody if you haven't seen the movie then tune out now for a few seconds but everybody was saying that uh oh talia al ghul's gonna be in the movie and i was like no marion cotillard she's not playing talia al ghul she's playing a different character and guess who she ends up being in the movie you know and all these things oh this isn't gonna be in the movie uh with the bane mask that became such a big deal people can't understand him in the trailer you know most directors would have just been like oh i guess i should go back and record all his dialogue <laughs> Guaranteed, Christopher Nolan didn't change a thing. And he's like, you know what? If these people can't listen, then that's their problem. I guarantee that Christopher Nolan wrote this role for Tom Hardy and Dunkirk just to mess with those people who complained about him <laughs> in The Dark Knight Rises. Because he spends the entire movie behind a mask yeah. here and the entire movie muffled. Yep. Exactly the same as Dark Knight Rises, with even less of his face showing. And I just found that hilarious. And it doesn't hurt the movie at all. Like anybody who does complain, that's not even the point I'm getting at it, whether it's, it hurts the movie or not. It's just funny that he would go that route considering the criticism they received for the dark Knight rises. And that's the funniest thing is like when, um, you know, I kind of realized it was Tom Hardy. It was kind of like, Oh, I get it. What he did there. You know, but like it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The, the thing that I, um, one of the, the funniest things I read in terms about like the trivia, you know, you read these really ridiculous trivia that people find on IMDb. They're like, it was kind of slightly interesting, but one that's kind of 
it's weird reading something that I'm looking at now. They were like, this is the first time that Christopher Nolan hasn't worked with Michael Caine since, like, I don't know, like 12 years, 13 years or something like that. But then just reading here in the cast, and this isn't a spoiler because I, I don't think you probably didn't realize, apparently Michael Caine has a cameo, spoken cameo, as one of the radio communications to the Royal Air Force. And, like, I mean, he's got yeah, such a recognizable voice. Like, I didn't re- realize yeah. that. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny, too, because uh, Michael Caine mentioned a couple of years ago that he was going to be retiring. And I remember at the time he said he had two more movies that he was going to make. He was going to do the sequel to Now You See Me, which has come out now, Now You See Me too, And he was going to do, as he just said at the time, Christopher Nolan's next movie. Because hmm. he's been in basically everyone since The Prestige. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> I guess, is this his retirement? Is this his final role? I don't know. Is he officially done um, now? This is, I'm done now, chaps. Yeah, See this you later. Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was Michael Caine's greatest joke on the world. <laughs> I'm going to retire after Christopher Nolan's next movie. Uh, see if you can pinpoint my voice in the background. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting for him to come back as uh, Nigel Powers in the uh, you know long-awaited Austin Powers 4. Um yeah, like one thing. One thing to just kind of—I mean, I didn't really necessarily want to bring up the whole limited women thing. I, I guess it was more a case of again, it's the world we live in. Often people will try and find it, but again, I, I agree with everything you said about it. It's—it's it's not something that yeah, it's there. But the one actually that you knew I was going to bring up with my love of the French. Um, I noticed a lot of media articles <laughs> during the week about the French are complaining about this film because it doesn't mm-hmm. show their role in uh, the the evacuation. And obviously, being in France, the the French troops you know, played a huge part in, in making sure that the Allied forces got out. And, I mean, the French are in this movie. The, the, obviously, they're in mm-hmm. this movie. It's fucking set in France, m- most of it. But, like, I, I think the, one of the best uh, comebacks I saw to the French complaining was, I don't even know if he was, like, part of this film or he was just, like, a, a critic or something like that. He's like, if the French want to tell the story about how the French got uh, help in Dunkirk, then make a French movie about it. This is a British movie about the British story. Get over it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's uh, that's fair enough. I mean, at the same time, I can kind of see the other side only because of the movie Argo that came out uh, that Ben Affleck did, which and Ben Affleck made a colossal mistake in making this movie because he premiered it at the Toronto Film Festival. And if you've seen the movie Argo, uh, he kind of buries Canada at the end of the movie, um, and apparently it was even worse in the the first showing that was at the Toronto Film Festival, but. The problem with Argo is that this was a story, you know, that for years was told, oh, Canada is the one responsible for rescuing these people because the United States government couldn't take any credit for it. Uh, the real story about how they got them out was that the CIA came up with this plan to get you know, them out of uh, the, the, uh, the, the country. And Canada still played a role in that, you know. Um, and the movie Argo glossed over all Canada's involvement. I think the difference between this and Argo is that Argo was using the Canadian characters that played a big role as supporting characters and then ended the movie with all the Americans sitting around saying, well, I guess Canada get to be the heroes on this one. You know, little does anybody know. Um, But with this movie, they're not addressing it. They're telling a specific, and it goes back to the same thing I said about, you know, oh, they don't have women in this movie. And the same thing I said about, oh, some of the characters don't even get names. You're not supposed to be telling more of a story than this you know it's just it, it is what it is it's it's its own movie and it's a small scale story in a big battle i kind of think like i mean i'm not doing this as a deliberate excuse to bring up titanic uh, i mean you know i love titanic but like it's kind of like the way you you compare that to it i mean like 
yeah, I get that people can have complaints with Titanic in the fact that you're telling a fictional love story on a on a boat where you've got, you know, thousands of real stories. But I think kind of at least what I felt was done right with Titanic is that you've still got people used in that story that were based on real people, you know, the unsinkable Molly Brown and, you know, the captain and sort of like that sort of stuff. But that's just what... And weren't they important to the movie? Well, but I mean, <laughs> they weren't really. But like, I mean, you know, Kathy Bates, hello. But like, I mean, like, you know, James Cameron was telling that. And look, let's be honest. That's what was a huge appeal of Titanic was the love story that was fictional. I mean, it's a, lo- it's a romantic movie on a tragic ship, I guess. You know, love story and all sort of stuff. Whereas, like, you not, look at something like... Not on, like, the, the love story here between Tom Hardy and Kenneth oh, exactly. Brown. Exactly. I, I believe it was better than Rose and Jack, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and unlike, uh, you know, Rose, uh, Kenneth Brown moved over on the board at the end. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's, when you look at something like Pearl Harbor, you know, where... I mean, again, like, Michael Bay just completely ignored everything, um, you know, to have, like, a love triangle. <laughs> so, I, I kind of think it's, it's like when you are telling a... When you're making a movie on, like, a, a famous historical event, there's definitely, you know, authentic, authenticism. Is that a word that, like, people... Authenticity. Authenticity. Thank you. This, is, again, comes from people who don't <laughs> read books um, that you can do. And, like, yeah, you're always going to have people in these situations who are going to complain... You know, oh, you didn't show us with the French. It's like, fuck off, France. Like, stop complaining for five seconds. Whereas, you know, like, it's... <laughs> it's don't get me talking about the French. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. Like, it's it's not done in a film where it's like that. And it's kind of... There are so many stories to tell in any famous incident that, that come across. It's like, again, going back to, to Patriot's Day, you know, Mark Wahlberg's character was completely fictional and people were complaining about the fact that, you you're like, why do you need to create a fictional Boston cop when you've got all these other stories? But he was basically the only fictional character in that film. Everything else was, like, based on real people and well, fact. And the other thing, and we're not going to get on Patriot's Day now because I haven't seen the movie, for one, but I think the same thing would apply to this. In that sometimes you want to tell a true story because one person's true story is so great. But when you're doing a big movie like this or even something like the Boston bombing, you want to tell a lot of different stories and none of those stories are connected in real life. So what do you do? You come up with a fictional character to kind of be the centerpiece for it. Um, That's in a way what this movie did, not just one character. It's kind of all the characters. I mean, he wrote, uh, Nolan wrote an original screenplay with original characters and even the individual stories you're witnessing here are probably individual or probably original stories he came up with just sort of based on incidents. But what do you do? You take little bits and pieces, you know, that you found interesting from all these different stories that you've heard. Exactly. And you sort of merge them into one movie. And and just a note out there to people who enjoy movies but don't realize how they're made. Uh, sadly... Uh, you know, real life stories are fantastic, but you do need to take a bit of creative license sometimes, folks. That's why it says based on true events, not like the following is specifically what happened play by play. Like, you know, yeah. think about the film Cool Runnings, for example. Like, I mean, Cool Runnings is a great film. It's a great story. But how much creative license is taken with the Jamaican bobsled 10% team? 10% true, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And download our interview with Devin Harris on Off the Podium to hear more about that with a real-life member of the Jamaican bobsled team. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think kind of, you know, people are always going to find little things to complain here and there. But I, I guess kind of, I mean, was there anything really about this film that maybe you think didn't work, that you didn't like, that you kind of left it going, oh, they could have done this better like oh fuck the french weren't in it like i don't know (laughs) no uh, really nothing at all like and and it's almost going to sound like i'm saying this is a perfect movie and in some ways i will say it's a perfect movie it's not like one of these things where i'm like okay five years from now i'm still going to say this is like one of the greatest movies i've ever seen but 
I don't know, Nolan has a knack for making a movie feel like something you've never seen before. And even if it is something like this where you're like, I don't know what's going on half the time, it feels totally new and it, it just, it's fascinating to watch. Uh, I can't really think about anything I didn't like. What I am interested to see is whether this does hold up down the road. Because, you know, I did see this. And Nolan is kind of the king of doing, you know, these uh, dramatic movies with IMAX cameras and really doing an IMAX presentation. I don't even know, do you have an IMAX theater there in Hobart? Uh, not in Hobart. They, they, they've got one on the mainland. They, they don't call it IMAX. It's called VMAX because our cinemas are called Village Cinemas. Mm. But, um, yeah, I've I've always wanted to go to an IMAX because I, I hear the experience is in- incredible. But, yeah, I, it's on my bucket list. Yeah, no, we don't have right one in movie. Hobart. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, it's at the point now where every single week something's released in IMAX. Like, the big, sick IMAX coming soon, you know? Really? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, like, most movies are just sort of, oh, they'll convert it and they'll make it nice and big for the screen. But, you know, Nolan using the cameras, you know, just the clarity you get on screen, the size of the picture, and the sound. It, like, my body's rumbling during some of the explosions in this movie. And that experience is so big, and I think Nolan really appreciates doing something that you could only get on a big screen, and doing it better than anybody else. You know, I, I kind of got that with The Dark Knight Rises, and then with Interstellar, that was the interesting one because I saw Interstellar, and I didn't walk out of it thinking that's the greatest movie I ever saw, but I did walk out of it thinking that's one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in a movie theater, and, and, and that's kind of the way I felt. With this, it's like it's one of the greatest experiences I ever had sitting. It brought me back to seeing Saving Private Ryan as a teenager where it's like I've never seen a movie like this before and it's such a big deal and it's totally different from anything out that you've ever seen before. And he also he this was filmed not in, not digitally wasn't it? Like this was done kind of old school when it comes to filming it and yeah, you know, and th- there's scratches on the film you see every once in a while. And I think um was I reading that this is maybe one of only two or three films this decade that hasn't been done digitally in terms of like major releases it's not like you know small time <laughs> students can't you know but yeah but like it's uh, I guess a, a studio release film that is is done that way and um yeah it's I mean I see it on the normal standard size screen but I mean you know I I'm still feeling a lot of what you're saying in terms of just that that appeal and just the the look and everything of the film as well and i'm assuming you're going to agree with me on this because i think everybody has the same reaction to this movie where it catches you so off guard and it's so different that you're almost playing catch up and then by the end of it you're like uh, whether you like it or not and both of us i'm assuming do like this movie not that we're giving away our (laughs) reviews but that one French critic who hated the movie, I guarantee even he's walking out of it thinking, I really want to see this again, because you feel like the second time you see it, it's going to be something completely different from the first time you saw it. Yeah, and I think, yeah, because I feel that once you get the timeline, because again, it is confusing, but like once you, it clicks with you, it like, it's it's done in that really clever style that... Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Pulp Fiction when you see Pulp Fiction or any, you know, Tarantino film or all these ones that are kind of like the timeline's a bit skew-if that you're always going to appreciate it more on a second viewing because, like, the first time you see it, it's great to kind of have the... I mean, it's not even a plot twist. It's just the way it is done. But then, like, yeah, you can always realise sort of subtle little things and I'm sure there's plenty of, like, Easter eggs or just little things here and there that you're keeping an eye out for it. And because, I mean, there were just... Until before I understood it, like... Like, the plane bit when Cillian Murphy's character is, like, introduced. And I'm like, huh? Do we know who this guy is? And, like, the whole yeah. time I'm like, like, I'm just so confused as to, like, why are we, like, and- like who is he? Like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden there's, like, a scene where a boat's sinking with, like, some characters on it that we've kind of known. 
I'm like, well, why mm-hmm. is that being gelled over? It's like, oh, okay, cool. And then all of a sudden... But here's something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but I'm not going to consider this a spoiler because I'm still scratching my head. But <laughs> during that scene with the boat sinking, do we see Killian Murphy again at an earlier point in the story? I swear he was in that. Uh, yeah, look, I, I can't remember. He's telling people not to get in the lifeboats. I mean, if you remember that scene, I swear that that's Killian Murphy there. I didn't pay that. I mean, again, this is me who didn't realize who <laughs> Kenneth Branagh This is Ben's bathroom break. Yeah, I mean, I... This I, is when he was Googling <laughs> One Direction videos. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, Killian Murphy always to me is just, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, fuck, Scarecrow. That's, you know, what I'm thinking of. Uh, you know what? You know what movie that I would love to cover here on the Oz Network is Red Eye with him and oh, Rachel McAdams. Yes. If you ever seen yes. that, oh, amazing! I, I remember. He's that he's one of like he's one of my favorite actors. I know we're getting sidetracked here, but there's probably only a handful of actors that it doesn't matter what they're in. You know, I'll see it if if they're in the Emoji Movie, I will pay to see it. If they're in uh, Barbie, uh, the animated story, doing a voice, hey, don't knock that. <laughs> I'll, I'll see it. He's he's one of those for me. Yeah, Harry Styles for me. Uh, I've seen everything that he's been <laughs> <Yeah>. in. Uh, <laughs> and now Fionn Whitehead, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, I wouldn't miss a film that he's in. Um, yeah, I mean, Cillian Murphy's just got one of those faces too, like just instantly recognisable and like, you know, typecast as kind of a villain person. But I mean, he, he deserves to be a villain because he's got that face about him. Um, but it's, that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not trying to say, Cillian, you're an evil, ugly guy, but like you've got just a, an emotive face that screams you're a villain. Uh, and I'm not saying he's necessarily a villain in this film. Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. Um, he's not a Nazi, or maybe he is. Um, actually, and, that's, and bringing that up, actually, one thing that I think was done well in this film that I don't know if you kind of really noticed was that, you know, in, in a lot of war movies, particularly because 90% of the time, unless you're watching a film from Germany, um, you know, the Nazis are the bad guys. Uh, and I would assume that most German films are also betraying the Nazis. I'm not saying they still say, yay, go Nazis. Um, but, like, you know, Downfall was kind of told from the Nazis' perspective in a subtle way. Anyway, but, like... Oh, that was so good. good. movie, yeah. But, like, you don't... You never see them. And this isn't really a spoiler, but, like, that's what I think's done well, is that yeah. in most war movies you'll at least see you know, a, a Nazi soldier, you'll see the Schwarzenegger, you'll see Hitler on TV, you'll see little references, but, like, you see enemy planes and you see and things in this film, but at no point did I ever see any Nazi paraphernalia or it's not even... I don't even think it's mentioned, is it, in this film, the no. word Nazi or German. And I read, again, this uh, this afternoon, the first time I really chose to read up on this movie because I wanted to be surprised... Uh, that Nolan intentionally didn't want to see any Nazis in this movie and, you know, didn't want any, uh, any, like you said, swastikas or uh, anything like that. And that again goes back to that dumb critic who didn't like this movie. I'm going to assume it's Leonard Maltin or um, who's the other guy, Peter Travers? Yeah, Peter Travers, yeah. <laughs> it's either Leonard Maltin or Peter Travers, a stupid idiot. <laughs> Listen to 007. <laughs> but... Um, you know, when he's like, oh, well, it's not large enough scale. Well, here's a perfect example of how that works. You're only seeing this from the point of view of the people getting shot at. Yeah. And there's a scene, which is probably one of the best ones in the entire movie, where there are a bunch of soldiers kind of hiding somewhere, and they're being shot at, and you don't see who's shooting at them. You kind of hear voices in the background, and it's all done just from their point of view as the ones kind of you know, undercover. And that's what makes the scene that's what makes this entire movie how do you do a movie this big with a cast like this where you don't want to tell backstories you know where you want it to feel very real and documentary like and still have it feel personal and it all comes back to the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. 
is that we're not seeing much outside of just these characters' point of views. Completely agree. And like, even the, there's a scene in there involving like a, sort of like a capture of someone, and like you don't see the faces of the people capturing the person. Like you yeah. just see the guns. Um, and like even the scene sort of on the water when you've got a plane flying over, and, and we're kind of with the with the characters there. We don't know if it's an enemy plane or a uh, you know an allied plane. And I think that's done really well because. You know, it's not like one of these movies straight away, like, you know, say, like a Pearl Harbor, where you're going to see, like, the Japanese, you know, insignia on the plane, or you'll see the swastika on a plane, oh, you know, he's a he's a Nazi plane. And that's, like, that was something that really kind of stood out for me, and it's, it's not necessarily like, oh, they're not showing the Nazis, Team Nazi, like, it's not that, it's just... <laughs> I think that's done in such a subtle way. You know, it would be yeah. like if Titanic... We're referencing that a lot. Uh, like if, you know, you don't see the Never iceberg. Never the iceberg? <laughs> <laughs> what are they hitting? Oh, it's an iceberg. We all know what it is. The damn Nazi iceberg. Uh, <laughs> and thousands of 14-year-olds uh, would just be putting together their own YouTube clips, you know, nowadays, <laughs> substituting what was in the place of the iceberg in that scene. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, I say Nazi iceberg, you know, a good 30 years before the Nazis existed, Ben. Good job. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know if you've got anything more to add, really. I mean, I, this is the thing, like, we kind of went into this thing. This might be such a long episode because, I mean, it's not a complex plot. You know, it's not sort of talking it's about short, characters. It, yeah, and it is. It's short. And it's, it's definitely a film that, uh, you know, similar to what I think I was saying with Spider-Man Homecoming, and I was saying this during Baby Driver as well, that, like, at no point do you feel like, oh, God, how long have we got to go? Like, it, it flies by, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, and credits, done. Part of the reason for that is they don't spend any time on backstories. Yeah. You know, there's you're, a brief write-up. straight away. Movie. Yeah, you don't, you don't learn the characters' names. You don't know who they are. You don't know whose side they're on half the time, you know, and they just drop you right into it. And that's a way that Christopher Nolan can get away with making an hour and 45-minute war movie a masterpiece versus doing a three-hour war movie a masterpiece. Yeah, and that's, that's like, kind of like when you straight into it like literally the credits like at the beginning like there's no I don't think there's any like movie type like studio title screen or anything like that it's just like the word Dunkirk I think comes up on screen and you're into it you know um, mm-hmm. and it's like that. that's effective because like you always go into a movie you know expecting a movie to start a certain way um, but when it's kind of straight away into it you're like oh okay it's kind of like you know we're talking about Titanic and James Bond, why not? But, like, you know, the first time you see Casino Royale, you're so used to how a Bond film starts that as soon as you see, like, the black and white fading to the the hotel, you're like, oh, we're into it already. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not cool. They should have had the gun barrel, but uh, anyway. Um, (laughs) Just, I mean, before I guess we get to our ratings, and this maybe can tie in slightly to the ratings. I mean, obviously getting a lot of Oscar bars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, would you... Is it too early to kind of say that this is a front-runner for the Oscars? I mean, obviously, we're, we're only in July, yeah. uh, you know, and a lot of these films aren't going to be coming out for another, you know, four, five, six months. But uh, would you would you put this out there? I mean, I remember when Gladiator came out, yeah. that came out about this time of year, and that obviously held on to win the Oscar, so... Yeah, not that it should have. That's uh, an episode <laughs> for another day. But, and I'm not knocking Gladiator, but when you're up against like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, <laughs> Traffic, and these other movies, then you don't win the Oscar. Um, no, I don't think it's uh, too early at all. Uh, this is a completely original movie uh, that really is an experience to see it. At the same time, I'm kind of reserving my judgment on how good the movie is until I have seen it a second time and some times past. Uh, just because I feel like the impression walking out of it is just, wow, that's that's something that's memorable. And it's it's something that, it's, it's an like I said earlier, it's an experience more than anything. Uh, so it's not like 
movies like that haven't been nominated before, you know, like Avatar, not that that should have been nominated for Best Picture either. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I will not be surprised if this gets a Best Picture nomination, especially since they have like about, you know, 46 Best Pictures nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still find it sad, though, that when you look at Christopher Nolan's filmography, uh, the Best Picture that he, nomination he got was for Inception, um, which Dark again, I'm not, not nominated for best picture. No, no, oh, it wasn't. Of course, Dark it was No, Prestige was, which to me, the Prestige is top ten favorite movies of all time for me. Um, and Memento again, not being nominated, crazy. Uh, so I mean, they they kind of have this thing with snubbing Christopher Nolan. But I mean, if one movie's going to get it, it's going to be Dunkirk because it's totally not Hollywood. It is the least Hollywood thing he's made since Memento. Well, just looking here, and I, I know we kind of reserve a lot of these sort of uh, things at the end of an episode when we eventually do the the recap as opposed to the review. But I mean, just looking at his filmography and in terms of uh, ratings for his film, I mean. Dunkirk's at a 93% currently in Rotten Tomatoes. It's only behind The Dark Knight in terms of his highest rated film. Dark Knight was on 94% and Memento on 92%. Like, I mean, you know, look at Metacritic, you know, highest by far, 94%. Um, and so, I mean, this is right up there in terms of his highest rated film critically. Uh, I mean, but, I mean, having said that, you know, every single one of his films is above 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not like he generally has a bad film. I mean, Michael Bay's happy if he gets a film over, like, 20%, isn't he? So, um, you yeah. know, so, I mean, for, for, uh, for Christopher Nolan, it's a little bit different. But I actually saw an interesting article, too. They were starting to compare Nolan to Stanley Kubrick, saying that how mm-hmm. we've kind of got the second coming of Stanley Kubrick. And that's probably another episode, but I, I don't know if kind of... You're you're such a it's Stanley fair, Kubrick yeah. fan that you would agree with that. No, I mean it's it's fair just in that every movie they make you can't compare them. Uh, like Interstellar is in no way similar to Dunkirk, and Dark Knight is not even in any way similar to Batman Begins. Like even his three Batman movies are completely different. The Prestige, Memento, and that's kind of the way the Kubrick was. You know, you, you don't watch uh, Spartacus and then watch Doctor Strangelove or The Shining. Uh, or Barry Lyndon or the, anything else he made and feel like it's even the same director. And everything they make is something that you can't compare to even other directors out there. And, you know, they kind of are the only guys I can think of that really have full creative freedom. And I think that's the coolest thing about Christopher Nolan. It's not like I'm going to say, well, Christopher Nolan, most people are like, well, Christopher Nolan is the greatest director alive. Well, I think that he is the most talented director who's given full creative freedom. There are tons of people out there who would be making movies as good as Dunkirk if they were able to get a studio to back them with $100 million to make a movie however they want, as big as they want, with IMAX cameras and all that. And that's the great thing about Nolan is that because of what he did with the Batman movies, he can go out tomorrow and say, I'm making Barbie, <laughs> you know, the animated story <laughs> wow. starring Killian Murphy and Harry Styles. <laughs> <laughs> And they will give him, you know, $200 million to do it. Say, do whatever you want. Um, So that's another one of the things that I think, you know, it's obviously a similarity to Kubrick. Kubrick did that his entire career. But it's another reason why you got to watch this movie, because you're able to see what a really great filmmaker can do if he has complete creative freedom. He's so young. He's only 46. Like, I I thought he was older than that. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, actually. And, like, I mean, this kind of go well into sort of, you know, we jokingly are tagging 007 available via iTunes. But, I mean, obviously there's whispers around that he is on the car to direct Bond 25, which would be pretty <laughs> incredible, kind of, based off his track record. Yeah. 
Um, but I mean, I'm just, I, I literally just pulled up this thing here. He, because the top 10 grossing directors in the history of movies, uh, he is the sixth highest grossing director in terms of his films. And just looking at this list of 10 other, like all 10 directors, him and James Cameron kind of have the least amount of films that have gotten them this high up. Uh, I mean, you know, Spielberg's obviously number one, but you look at people like Peter Jackson, uh, you know, Michael Bay, sadly, is on this list. Uh, you know, Robert Zemeckis, Tim Burton. I mean, the amount of films they've got. I mean, we look at number four on this list, David Yates, uh, who basically lucks into this because he's directed, like, pretty much all the Harry <laughs> Potters and Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. <laughs> so, there's a, there's a trivia question for everybody. What does Steven Spielberg, Peter Jackson, James Cameron, Michael Bay, and David Yates have in common? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know that again is a testament to Nola is that his name draws people into the yeah. movies regardless of whether it, like this you're not gonna have the same audience going to watch a period war film that's going to watch Matthew McConaughey <laughs> in space and different dimensions yeah. you know <laughs> um, all right, all but right, all, right. all of his movies now <laughs> yeah but like if you look at Interstellar and Dunkirk you know they're both making 45 50 million dollars opening yeah uh, that's pretty much the norm for a Nolan movie now so he's one of the few directors that has name power. Peter Jackson doesn't have that. You know, Spielberg certainly doesn't anymore. Like, he's had his fair share of bombs. Peter Jackson, with the, the lovely bones or whatever it was, I mean, his name attached to it didn't help that movie. Uh, if Christopher Nolan makes the lovely bones too tomorrow, it's a $50 million opening. Whereas you look at people on that list, and, you know, Michael Bay definitely has a draw card, but usually because people like getting stuff blown up. So, <laughs> yeah. like, Michael Bay does titanic it's like oh fuck the boat's gonna explode <laughs> i mean you would, would christopher nolan christopher nolan could do barbie on titanic <laughs> and people will see it <laughs> would you argue that i mean just looking at that list kind of not to get sidetracked but i mean i would probably argue that maybe only james cameron would also have i mean tim burton does to an extent because he's got a rabid fan base yeah. but i would say out of all the people on that list like James Cameron does a movie, he's automatically got a $50, 100000000 million opening. And, I mean, even with James Cameron, he does a movie, like, once every 10 years, basically. So, yeah, you know. I mean, it kind of... <laughs> when, when your track record is that you've had two movies in 20 years and both were hits, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily the name that draws Both of the highest-grossing films of all time. I mean... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I guess, kind of, again, if you've got nothing else to add, we'll get into our, our review. And, I mean, as always, these spoiler-free sort of reviews. I mean, we will plan on doing this as a proper recap scene by scene, but I can't imagine that when we eventually do that, Colin, this is going to be that <laughs> much longer. It's going to be very different. <laughs> yeah, and it won't be different. We're still going to be like, yeah, there was that one scene, yeah. and I don't remember this character, and <laughs> Kenneth Branagh! <laughs> Dennis Leary's in it! <laughs> Didn't see him there! <laughs> but uh, for those not familiar with our rating system, of course, it's uh, buy it, you love this film, you want to see it over and over again, rent it, it's you know, not bad. You'll watch it a couple of times and return it the following day. And bin it. It was shit. You know, put it in the the waste bin. Uh, I mean, I kind of assume where you're going with this one. Yeah. No, it's definitely a buy it, and for a lot of reasons. Like, I could have not enjoyed this movie and still wanted to buy it, uh, just because you know you do want to see how it's going to be different on a second viewing, uh, and it is completely original. And even just when nothing's happening on screen, when it's people walking. It just looks different from every other war movie out there. And I think especially from the point of view of somebody who's a huge war movie buff, you know, because of Saving Private Ryan as a teenager, it really got me into this. And it's been a long time since it's been good ones. I mean, there was Saving Private Ryan, 
there was Black Hawk Down, and then there was a lot of disappointing movies for over 15 years. You know, really the only one I could think about that I think is at the same level might be Jarhead. Uh, but this is kind of up there. This is like the natural successor. You have Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down, Jarhead, and Dunkirk. My favorite war movie, Starship Troopers. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> right behind Tears of the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know more? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm buying it too. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, again, it's sort of like, I, as I said at the beginning, I didn't enjoy this, I guess, as much as like the, a lot of the reviews. Like, I kind of went into thinking, like, oh, this is going to be the greatest film of all time, and probably don't like it as much as you do, but I still thoroughly enjoyed this film, and I would That's happily see it again. Yeah, you don't have to even let, like, I'm convinced that a person who hates this movie will want to watch it again and yeah. is probably going to pay to buy it because it's just, it's that unique. Yeah, and that's what I like about it, a good film that, like, you might not think, like, oh, this is the best thing ever, but, like, it, if it stands out in your mind and you you remember it for, mm-hmm. like, positive reasons, it, it's kind of, you know, like, a week ago when we did Baby Driver, it's like, it's it's a unique film that stands out in your mind, and I thoroughly enjoyed Baby Driver, and I, I'd, I'd probably argue I liked Baby Driver better than I liked Dunkirk. But, I mean, I guess it's still, again, not saying that I didn't dislike Dunkirk. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Everything that you've said, and, you know, I definitely agree with you, probably raised it up a little higher in my psyche based on a lot of things that you were saying. Um, and, yeah, I, I think I this, effect, this is yes. definitely a, a film that people listening to this who are debating, what should I go see at the movies this week? You know, sadly, because the Emoji movie's not out yet, you should go and see this. Um, so yeah, I, I'm buying it and I'm just looking here at our, our ratings and given that we're, we've just about, and I think we just have crossed the hundred episode mark, uh, of the Oz Network. Thank you for all your, your uh, support over these hundred episodes. It's in been how great. many months? Uh, what are we now? July? We started in about February, March, didn't we? So we're doing well. <laughs> it just shows we've got no lives. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna, yeah. I want to put out, uh, sort of every hundred episodes, kind of a recap of where our, you know, buy it, bin it, rent it is at. And just, I mean, looking at our movie ratings, not compared to our TV ones, you and I have only binned one movie each. Out of all the film reviewers, including Jamie and Marcus in there, we're the only ones who have binned films, and they're both Spider-Man films. (laughs) So everything else will be the bought or rent. So there you go. We like our movies better than our TV shows. (laughs) The series we dedicated two months of our lives to is the only thing we're like, don't bother. (laughs) So, uh, but you know, we need to start watching we'll movies, say, Colin. Not... We don't like. <laughs> yeah, well, and that'll come. Uh, but Titanic coming soon, hey, 20th anniversary. Bye. But uh, swept away, possibly. Listen to Impractical <laughs> Jokers. <laughs> but I mean, in all fairness, people don't judge us and be like, "Oh, they just love everything." I mean, we've rented a lot of these and kind of been on the verge. I remember with, uh, um, I think it was uh, Alien Covenant. I was like, yeah, I'd rent it, but I didn't really care for a lot of it. Yeah, we kind of said the same thing for The Mummy. Uh, and also, as far as the older movies we're watching, we're kind of covering stuff that we're going to get a kick out of. And yeah, the time's coming when we're going to get into movies we don't like. Because the good part of summer is over. And coming soon is Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson uh, in a bodyguard movie. And <laughs> the, the Emoji movie. film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, eventually, uh, we're going to be covering, I don't know, whatever Madonna's next movie is with Rebel Wilson. <laughs> oh, God, fuck off. I'm not doing a Rebel Wilson film. Uh, <laughs> I hate Rebel Wilson. And she's Australian. Like, no, you're not funny. We get it. You're fat. Ha ha. Joke died 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
But uh, yes, if anybody listening out there has a film, like I know we do kind of our, our random TV rewatch. I mean, we, we, we open that up. We always say like people, if you want to send us a message and email or anything and say, suggest like, hey guys, this film's coming out. It looks terrible. You should go see it. You know, uh, yeah. or even just a we'll classic it. movie. You know, we're, we're open to it. Again, the only one we won't do is the Twilight series. All right. Like just yeah. a million <laughs> likes on Facebook. We will do the Twilight series. Um, so better get liking people. Yeah, get liking. Get all your twi hard friends out there to, to start uh, to start liking the page. But uh, we we're gonna keep doing our spoiler free reviews as well. Uh, Colin, you're gonna be uh, heading out to see uh, Atomic Blonde, I believe. Yeah, Jamie and I are gonna go. So Jamie will be back. She's taking a few movies off now, uh, but she actually is just as excited to see Atomic Blonde as I am, which is. Uh, Kind of amazing. She's in the uh, background there. What's she saying? <laughs> uh, I don't know. She heard some of the reviews out there for it. She says she's not as excited anymore. Oh, she just wants to see it Charlie Theron get because... it on with a woman. Who doesn't? Like... <laughs> no, guaranteed, none of those bad reviews came from this show because we don't bin anything yeah. here. <laughs> yes. We are the Disney movie of the podcast fraternity. We just uh, Everything is happy, sunshine, and rainbows. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I fucking love Gigli. It's the best movie ever. <laughs> Okay, we will cover that if somebody suggests it. If you want to hear our thoughts, we will do it. We are shameless. Battlefield Earth? How did that not win the Oscar? <laughs> oh, I would love to cover Battlefield you, Earth. You see, I'm guessing everyone's seen Battlefield Earth for shits and gigs. But... Yeah, I've seen it more than once. What? You were that one. Yeah. <laughs> You're the one that's not called Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a dream about Tom Cruise last night that he was like my friend and we went to have a beer. It was really weird, but he seemed like a nice guy. So, yeah, hi, Tom, if you're listening. You sound like Jamie now. <laughs> I had a dream about Tom Cruise. Well, not probably the same way that Jamie's dreaming about Tom Cruise. <laughs> He's such a tender Did lover. Did he have a shirt on in your <laughs> but If he was wearing a shirt, Ben's dream. Yes, exactly. We're listening to One Direction together. Uh, <laughs> There's a movie. You can't tell me that you wouldn't pay to see a movie starring myself and Tom Cruise listening to One Direction. Hey, I pay to see every Tom Cruise movie, so I'm, I'm paying for that one. I will buy it. I won't bin it. One man wanted to listen to One Direction, so he called on the only man he thought he could. Tom Cruise. A crazy Scientologist jumping off of a couch. What happens when two men who don't know each other bond over music? <laughs> You'll be sliding across the living room in your underwear to One Direction. From the director, from the director of Dunkirk, comes the untold story (laughs) of a Hollywood actor and a wannabe radio star (laughs) featuring Jamie Hilding. Shirtless Tom Cruise and Rebel Wilson. (laughs) I'm fat. Love on an iPod coming soon to cinemas <laughs> this November. Only an iMac. <laughs> See it in 3Ds like the cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! We've run out of material, people. <laughs> um, if you prefer our TV ones better, um, then. <laughs> <laughs> Look out, obviously, uh, Nip Tuck and um, Third Watch ones continue each week. We have uh, more random recaps eventually once I recover from the last one. And, um, yeah, Survivor fans, Australian Survivor obviously starting 
Uh, great news is that we're also having exit interviews alongside with our weekly uh, coverage of that too. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. We're very excited to bring that to you. And as always, stay up to date with everything. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the usual channels there. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and uh, ratings that you can give us along the way. Uh, but yeah, Dunkirk, go and see it. We both bought it. So you can borrow it off us if you want to because we own it apparently. Uh, my name is Ben and I just podcasted about Dunkirk. And my name is Colin. One hour and three minutes. You will get that when you watch the movie. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.